Booty. From the Not A Foodie studio, which is not a studio, um, it's not even my dining room table in Queens, it's the Not A Foodie show. I am uh, Tom Mialli, coming at you from an undisclosed location, hiding out from a pandemic, and with me as always is... It's Mike Maranti, uh, in the heart of this pandemic in Manhattan, <laughs> upper, upper, upper west side, um... You yeah. can't get more upper than, than where you are. No, you can. Yeah. You can get significantly more upper. <laughs> um, but then it's called, uh, it has a different name. Then it's literally called Upper Manhattan. You're not considered Upper Manhattan where you are? I mean, Hamilton Heights? Harlem still. Oh, okay. It's hard, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, it's the Not A Foodie Show. Um, we, uh, Mike and I have a, we got a really good show coming up. We've got, um, we did an interview with Brian Koppelman who is just one of my favorite, um, just people, <laughs> like artists and Twitter he's, personalities. He's awesome. And just like, he's just amazing. I didn't even want to speak. I just wanted to keep listening to that's, him. I mean, it, that's, that's good. That's the sign of a good interview, right? Um, yeah. But he, so anyway, for those of you that don't know Brian Copeland, Brian um, wrote the movie Rounders, which is like, you know, the poker movie. Um, of the, yeah, that the movie 90s. got Chris Chris Moneymaker. That movie got Chris Moneymaker into playing poker. Yeah, I mean that movie. It was one of the first movies that showed New York City underground poker, and it, I would say that it led to the boom in that New York City underground poker scene. Like I actually went to a lot of those underground clubs in like the early two thousands. Of and course I, you did. From that movie Rounders. Uh, I mean. Of course you did. Oh my did. God, Mike, come on. It was like, that was just <laughs> one of the things that you did. It was 2002, up. Mike. It, it was, Bush was president. It was a different it world. Was, it was. It was. I could, I could tell you, I still have phone numbers in my phone of places like secret phone numbers of places that are long gone. That I would call up and be able to go in and play uh, play my you know games of Texas Hold'em or whatever, so Omaha once in a while. Um, but anyway, so we've got Brian Koppelman. Uh, Brian Koppelman is also the showrunner for the show um, Billions on Showtime, um, which is an awesome show. But we wanted to talk to Brian about the the role of food in pop culture in sort of all of his creations, and Brian is. I think I said in an interview that Brian is a member of the New York food scene without being a chef or a restaurateur or really, by his own admission, even mm -hmm. knowing how to cook. He just is a presence in the New York food scene. He is best friends with every uh, New York chef. He the names he dropped were so ridiculous. He's like, I don't even want to get into yeah. it, but we'll, we'll get into it in the interview. Yes. Um, so let's stop talking okay. about it. Sounds good. And that, yeah, before we spoil anything. Yes, so... Because we're about to. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about food news. Yes, um, so it, today is March 25th, and uh, the New York City restaurant world has taken a massive loss. Uh, Chef Floyd Cardoz of Tabla, Bombay Bread Bar, North End Grill, uh, has passed away from the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, I complications never due to the coronavirus. I never was lucky enough... Yes. 
Okay. I was never lucky enough to uh, meet Chef, but one of my friends worked with him at North End Grill. And when he found out that Floyd was leaving, he quit. I mean, he was, by all accounts, one of the most beloved people in the New York food scene, in, in just the restaurant world. I mean, he was on... He was on Top Chef Masters. He was always on TV. He won it. Um, he was he was just all over the place, and he did a lot of Food Network shows. I can say that Tabla was the first restaurant in New York that it wasn't like a crazy celebrity chef restaurant. That like I went into this restaurant and I was like, oh my god, I want to know who this chef is. I want to follow him everywhere, and. It was probably the fan, the first fancy restaurant that I went to that, you know, I paid for myself. That like I had friends that worked in the restaurant scene for years, so I was working, I was going out to like really fancy restaurants and not paying because they would like hook us up. Tablo was the first restaurant that like my first fancy restaurant that I went to. And it was it was insane and there are flavors and smells from that restaurant that I can still taste and smell like it was yesterday. And it was 20 years ago um it's i mean insane have had you ever had the privilege of eating any of his stuff mike so no i never made it to bombay bread bar um in setting the table danny meyer talks about opening up tabla mm -hmm. and out of all just from reading it out of all the uh restaurants that he talked about in that book tabla was the one where i was like wow i want to go there and then I looked it up and found out it closed because I read the book in 2010. But uh, if he, I've only heard great things about uh, Chef Lloyd Cardos yeah. as a person, as a chef, everything. I, I mean, what I remember about him is I remember going to Tabla and then after I ate there, I needed to find out everything I possibly could about him. And I remember – so he, he cooked um, – he cooked Indian food. He, I will 100% say that he is single-handedly in New York responsible for upscale Indian food. Like before him, for sure. There was, you know, there was always Indian food. You could always go to, you know, Little Bombay and you know, go to Murray Hill, go to you know the East Village and and find a curry spot and everybody. It was delicious, but. He just took that and made it upscale. And what I found fascinating about him was he basically said you have to give the American palate. You have to give Americans something that they are familiar with and then do something that they're unfamiliar with to challenge them. So what he would do is he would take Indian spices and put it on like, you know, a nice salmon filet or something that is a little bit more upscale and give you something that you sort of you look at and you're like oh that's awesome that's a piece of steak or that's a pork chop or whatever it is and then all of a sudden you take a bite out of it and it's just filled with like these really refined indian flavors and i, I it was amazing it was really when i say that he is one of those people that i always you know think of i i it's not an exaggeration whenever i'm cooking i think of him it's pretty amazing um, and the New York culinary scene and the world has, uh, you know, is a little bit less flavorful without him in it. And, you know, my, my thoughts go out to, uh, to him and his family. His, his kids were like just staples of the restaurant scene too. Like they were just always around with him going to different restaurants. Um, David Chang 
in a little bit of a tribute to him, said that his two sons were always slurping with him at the noodle bar, and it was just, you know, yeah. pretty amazing. So, anyway. Um, I what, The other thing that I wanted to talk today about, I mean, we're in sort of downer time, so we've got two little downer news items. Um, I wanted to talk about the... The article, the op-ed that was in the New York Times uh, yesterday, again, today is March 25th when we're recording this, yesterday, March 24th, um, Andrew Carmelini, Tom Colicchio, Danny Meyer, Missy Robbins, Marcus Samuelson, and Adam Saper, um, all names that we have mentioned on this podcast, um, they wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, and the op-ed is titled, Will We Have an America Without Restaurants? And it basically just talks about what we had talked about last week, Mike, you and I, about the restaurant industry just, you know, just a whole industry just being wiped out over the course of a few days and what the repercussions of that um, will be down the road. So I know um, uh, there's some stimulus packages that are coming out. I don't think, you know, it's, it's enough. Um, I think that one of the big things that, this article hits on is that these are independently owned restaurants. They're not McDonald's. They're not giant corporations. Yeah. And that these are the guys that should have been invited to speak with the president, yeah. especially Danny Meyer and Tom Colicchio. No, I know it's more, more than anybody maybe in the world is those two. Yeah. And it's, it's basically one of the things that I, one of the things that sort of hit home with me and it's something that we have talked about a lot on the podcast is, you know, the restaurant margins are just super thin. Um, you know, 90% of the income that comes in goes back into the restaurant, goes to, you know, goes to everything else. So it's not like these these successful restaurateurs um, have a big rainy day fund, you know? It's not like they're, they're hedge fund guys or something like that. Um, it's, you know, you always talk about, you know, like restaurateurs and how they get their money and it's not from their restaurants if you are a millionaire restaurateur it's because you're also on a netflix show or something like that someone someone tweeted at david chang it's like and he's like the my due to my research it says you're worth 25 million dollars why don't you help save your employees it's like his net worth is tied into those restaurants existing yeah <laughs> not there you're you have 25 million dollars in the bank you're liquid at 25 million david chang yeah like, 25 million in the bank is different than being than having a net worth of 25 million your net worth can be wiped out in a second if all of a sudden all of your businesses close and, and this was literally last week when all of before right now in new york city they're doing everyone's making an effort to do delivery and deliver alcohol too last week that we weren't sure if we could do that yeah well i I mean it's this whole the whole article just you know sort sort of sheds a light on how many people the restaurant industry employs how the supply chain works um you know you're talking about you talk about farmers now who their primary uh clients were restaurants and food distributors you know it's uh, there are ripple effects that will be felt um, in this forever and or, you know, for our foreseeable future anyway. Um, it's just it's it's a sad situation. Um, and I think that 
most restaurants are small businesses. Like most restaurants are your neighborhood small businesses. And they are, Andrea Strong put it great last, you know, uh, last week's on last week's episode. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go listen to it. Andrea said that these are the people that take care of you all of the time. And now it is our turn to take care of them. These are people that are always there for donations for whenever there's a natural disaster cooks are the ones who are out there cooking for people and now all of these places are just in danger of closing if they haven't closed already um so anyway that's uh something i wanted to just touch on so to the interview yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah so i think yeah so, so coming up next something that's actually <laughs> awesome i mean i think that um I couldn't believe that. Uh, so Mike won the Twitter lottery. Mike won the the Brian Koppelman Twitter lottery. Um, Brian, every once in a while on Twitter, just because he's an awesome person, says, "Hey, you know, reply to me and I'll be on your podcast, or reply to me and I'll do this for you, or whatever it is." And Mike, I guess, was the first to reply, and we set up a. I don't think I was the first, but I told him that I'm. Uh... My, that my restaurant just closed and I've been trying to book him for a while. <laughs> and he said, okay, I'm down here. Email me. All right. So, so, so that was it. Yeah. Um, Mike, any... I definitely wasn't the first. There were like 200 tweets. Oh, yeah? After, like before All me. Right. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, let me, let me see. Well, we were the lucky ones, I guess, then. <laughs> um, so, Mike, do you want to you set up the interview since you did the, uh, did the whole thing? He, um... We, I reached out to Brian and he said, email me. So I emailed him. Tom actually called me in the middle of my workout to tell me that Brian Koppelman tweeted me back. And, um, we got to sit down with him for about 30 minutes and just like talk to him about food in New York city and food in pop culture. And this guy is so fucking smart. <laughs> it is. Like it, let's stop talking about it. Let's what, let people hear it. Yeah, that's it. We'll uh, yeah, we'll we'll let it roll. Here comes uh, Brian Koppelman on the Not a Foodie podcast. Brian, you know, obviously, thanks for joining us. This is awesome. It was one of those weird serendipitous so Twitter so Twitter cool. moments. Um, Brian Koppelman is a showrunner, writer, director, um, most famous for probably his um, smash hit Runner Runner. Um, are we allowed really? to say that? That's where we're starting. <laughs> no, so Rounders, which I mean, obviously, so many people's favorite movie, billions, um, everything um, on, you know, everything from on billions is genius in my opinion. But what I love about Brian and the reason that we love to talk to him on the Not a Foodie podcast is Brian is Brian puts a, an emphasis on food and dining. Um, in a lot of his creation, so billions in particular, I think there's just so many scenes um, that that help you know help you sort of define a character by what they're eating, by where they're dining, everything like that. And you are a food lover; you've been involved in the New York food scene forever. And I'm gonna you know shut up and uh, let you talk now a little bit about that. Um, so I think the big question that I have for you is how did you become this way? You're, you, how did you become friends with all of these chefs and restaurateurs and um, just become this person who is, uh, you're part of the New York dining scene. You're part of the New York food scene without being a chef or a restaurateur. How did that happen? Well, I have this incredible um, 
regard for and love of people who work in the food service business. Thank I think you. that I think that chefs. Well, you're unemployed right now, so I'm not sure. You can. <laughs> wow. So, but no. So we're all the chefs in New York City. I I do. I think that what chefs endeavor to do, the great ones, which is to uh, create something that uh, comes from a, a deep part of themselves and that is designed to give tremendous satisfaction to the person receiving it. But then the thing is gone and they have to do it all over again. And then the way the great ones uh, are incredibly determined to be great all the time. Uh, they are determined to be awake early to get the best produce. They're determined to be there at the end of shift to make sure that the kitchen staff finishes strong. I, I find it um, incredibly difficult, demanding, heroic work. And so I've always loved chefs. And magical, great front-of-house people are, are also... Um, figures of great esteem to me because half of a night out is the way you're made to feel when you enter and uh, an establishment and sit down in it. And in a city like New York, which has you know the most restaurants, the best restaurants, the most demanding uh, customers, I uh, just decided years ago that one, I hate to wait in line. Life's too short to ever wait in line. And I also am someone who's always followed his curiosity and fascination. And I decided uh, if I loved a restaurant, I would go there enough that I'd get to know them. If I liked the chef, I'd find a way to say hello to her or him. And um, there's a real kinship between people who do what I do and people who do what uh, food people do. For because sure. we're all in the circus in, in some way. We're all trick monkeys there doing our particular weird thing um, really to be devoured by the public. And so I have found that my fascination with and obsession with people who cook is often mirrored by their fascination and obsession with people who do what I do, which is tell stories. Hmm. Well, what I found interesting about that is, you know, you're talking about someone who puts an amazing amount of work into something that, you know, as you described, is, is fleeting, is just gone, you know, after a second. But but it stays with you. And that's uh, that's the parallel that I'm drawing between what you do and what a chef does. Right. Like it's it's almost like that art of letting go. Like anyone who's ever been involved in any creative endeavor um, yes. ha knows that they need to let it go out into the world at some point. To that's be, true, to be man. Consumed. Yeah, a hundred percent true, and 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 I feel that the best people who do any of this stuff do it with real passion and real commitment and real heart, and I'm just always available to be moved by that in a way. And I have found that chefs, restaurant people, they recognize oh. people. They recognize that you see them. They recognize if, that you get it. If you're if you're a, I call them professional diners. Right. And if you're a professional diner, you will have a different experience than if you're a novice diner. Uh, the, tr the staff will treat you different. Um, you, 
it's just so much. That's why Tom and I are friends because I waited on him and he's a professional, him and his wife are professional diners and we hit it off. Yeah. Um, It's true. You know, um, I love the, I, I, I like that idea. I mean, I think of it more as being a true enthusiast that if, you know, look, our, our culture so often, everyone's trying to remain cool and not express their enthusiasm. Or I'm not curiosity, about, right? I'm not like, talking about being a fawning person, but I'm talking about, you know, if I taste something, you know, I, I think the way I got to be friends with David Chang so many years ago is like when I went into the first time and I had one of those pork buns and it was very early on in, in Noodle Bar, I lost my mind and I started bringing everybody I knew into the place <laughs> and he and his team noticed, you know, because I was like, this is incredible. How are you guys doing? What? How is this so different than any bow I've ever eaten before? And, you know, I brought a lot of experience to it, but I was just uh, blown away. And same with when Ivan opened Ivan Ramen in New York or, I, you know, any number of those kind of experiences. I remember when Seki first opened and I never became friends with Seki, but I recognized that Amy and I went like the second week and he wasn't famous at all. And we just started going like as much as we could afford to at the time. And we would we would go there and eventually he and his wife around the place, they noticed, they didn't know what I did for a living or any of that stuff. They just noticed that there were these people who really loved what they were doing and who got it, which meant they would give us certain other things. Hey, I got this Scirocco in, would you try it? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to try that. Well, do you know what it is? I don't need to afterwards, you know? And it's that experience of connecting with people that makes you, um, for me, makes that whole thing better. And then, for me, as I became friends with certain chefs and then with people who wrote about food, um, I just ended up, as you say, part of the 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 world of the New York uh, New York food. I would say New York food and wine, but I'm not really a big enough. Dr- I'm not really a big drinker, which is the only <laughs> strike against me in all this. I'm like a one drink and done person. I mean, right. I, as I've gotten older, I'm the same was- way. <laughs> Brian, can you tell our listeners what Scirocco is? I mean, you can tell them. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like fish nut sack. It's the sperm of a it's cod sperm, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> but but when you think of it, I mean, think of it like uh, like uh, ikuri, right? It's like eating the eggs, but the other side of it. <laughs> I'll say this: if you go during the season to a great, uh, are we, you know, you don't want to get supermarket Scirocco, but. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by, unless, by the way, great band name, I think. Yeah, yes. great podcast Really name. good band name. Street Chiraco, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, Street Chiraco. But, but if you go to the right place and they offer it to you, uh, get it. It's just unbelievably delicious thing. One of the things that, uh, that you said that sort of touched a nerve with me, I lived in the East Village uh, when Co. first opened. and. Yes. I loved the I loved the system of trying to get a reservation there where there were, you know, unless you knew somebody, there were really no way to game that system. It was you know like what? Even if you knew people at Co. that first year at Co. Oh, man. They, they, you really couldn't get in if you didn't do the reservation system the way that they had it. They had to do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And my wife and I, we did it and we were nobodies, you know, living in the East Village. And we were just we wanted to go out and have like this really awesome meal. And I remember we got in after a couple of months of trying to win the lottery. We got in. And we had no idea how to act. You know, you don't yeah. know. You think you're, you're going to this really exclusive place and it's fine dining and everything. And 
Chang served us um, that that it was like a parpadel with like a pine needle broth with a little bit of lagavulin splashed on top of it. Yes. And I, I, my wife and I finished the bowl, finished the dish, and both of us put the bowls up to our lips and like started slurping. Uh -huh. And Chang turned around and gave us a wink and a smile and a thumbs up, and we were like, we we didn't know whether we should be embarrassed for slurping, and then we got the okay from him. And that I'm was so glad you just mentioned that the fact that Dave was actually there in the beginning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, sh the truth is, I was going to say even before you, you said that, that, I mean, Sean is incredible. So if you were there when Sean is there, he would have made you feel super comfortable, too. So it was Dave and Sean and you got to eat there. I mean, that's a legendary that that is a truly legendary once a century kind of New York thing that those guys were behind that bar putting out that food. Uh to have been there and, and seen that is the kind of thing you'll remember the rest of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the only reason that I got in was because I was roommates with someone who was a shoot, was a Sioux at Balud under Andrew, who told me I got to go check out Chang's new place. And that's the only reason I even knew about it. And even then I could not get a reservation because of, you know, because of who I knew I had to go through the whole system. But yeah, yes. it's someone who wants to dazzle, wants to appreciate, wants you to slurp out of the bowl. And that's what I appreciate about Chang and totally. his restaurants, you know? Ugh. All right. Well, I could talk about New York food forever, but this is a, you know, you're, you're also a pop culture. Um, like you and Klosterman are like my two pop culture idols. Like I feel like. Uh, he's I, awesome. I love Chuck. <laughs> I don't uh, like every time I, uh, every time I come up with a pop culture reference, I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm channeling you guys. So I have um, some questions for you about, just movies and TV shows that use food to, to help sort of define a mood or a character. I'll do um, my best to answer. Go ahead. Yeah. I think, so I, how do you, I feel like with, with billions, you're sort of watching, you're watching almost um, wealth porn. I know that that's not a term that I invented. Um, it's a term that's been thrown around a lot. I mean, do you think that, how, how do you think that that translates to people that have never been to those restaurants? I mean, I think you get a really good feeling when you watch, you know, one of the characters walk into this, you know, really exclusive restaurant. Um, it's more than just a wink to the people that are in the know. I think it sort of evokes a feeling and that and you do that very effectively. So I'm wondering sort of how you go about doing that, how you go about sort of conceiving that. Um, do you have a list of like, this is the, the restaurant that this character would go to in this particular moment? Or how, how do you, what's the process? I mean, you, you, I, I mean, you asked a couple different questions in there. Um, as to how, so how it's going to play to someone who's not from here, I mean, we're, we're trying to put the listener, I mean, the viewer in the shoes of the characters in a way so that they can understand what it would be like to have the kind of access that these characters have. Uh, and it's not that we have lists of where they'd go. It's that we just know where they would go. Um, because we're expert on the scene, because that's part of, of studying the world is, is, um, getting it to a point where you don't have to really think about it, but you just understand it so that, you know, I don't want to spoil where we're going this year, but um, the first episode of last season, season four, when you think about, you know, I, I didn't, we have to make a list of where the power breakfast, lunch, and dinner places were. If you're writing about what Dave and I are writing about, and if you're 
observing that world. And if you're going to lunches with these people because you're interviewing them, I mean, you just understand that they're still going to Michael's. You just understand that now they're going to the grill sometimes instead of Fred at Barney's, even before Barney's closed. You, you're, you're tracking the difference between um, a place like EAT, a place like Michael's, and a place like the pool, right? You're, you're just aware of all that stuff. You're aware of why someone goes to the Lobster Club to have a certain kind of meeting at a certain kind of time. And then the great thing about the way people watch Billions is a lot of people watch it two and three times so that the first time they're watching it for the story and then, but then they're gonna pause the DVR and they're gonna go and say, well, what is that restaurant? Then they're gonna go read about that restaurant and then they're gonna maybe make their own list and come to New York and try to go to those places. I mean, I get, I get um, messages, uh, at mentions all the time from people asking me um, about various places in New York and how to go and whether they should go. And um, that's a really fun part of, of the whole thing. I, I love that people take it seriously in that way and want to go deeper. Great. I think um, I, I'm, I love watching the show and I love seeing those places. And there's definitely times on the show where I'm like, oh, I've been there or, oh, I want to go there or, oh, my God, I can't. I, I don't want to go there because, you know, Wags is going there or Wags type of of person is going there. Um, And I, and I love, uh, I love the character development that comes from that. I like Wags is one of my favorite characters. Um, There's that scene uh, where he's, you know, talking about uh, Mike, is it the scene that you were talking about the Don Don noodles? No, the Don Don. So Brian, uh, I haven't watched that much of Billions because my ex used to work at Bridgewater and she said it was like too much like work to watch it. I understand. But you're about yeah. to talk about episode two of season one. That yes, yeah. yes exactly. But I've seen the first two episodes is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've seen them all, Brian. <laughs> right. No, but I've, I've seen Rounders a shit ton of times. There's that conversation about Don Don noodles versus uh, cold sesame noodles. Yes. <laughs> yes. So my, and it's just off the cuff, like, no, this is what a Don Don noodle is. It's Szechuan, it's spicy, it's, it has this, it has that. Uh, where are your mushrooms? And it, it's like, that. that is how I speak to people about food. Uh, it's just very, like, it's not up for a discussion, it's matter of fact. Right. Um, and it's awesome. <laughs> well, I, Yeah, I, I love that scene. I was really happy with that scene. I thought that was a hilarious thing to point out the difference between those things because it, it really annoys me when people don't know the difference. <laughs> And it's something that the character would absolutely 100% do. Yeah, if you're way into that stuff. You yes. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Brian, I've got uh, a couple of lightning round questions. I know Go we're ahead. sort of running running low on time. I wanted to yeah. talk about – so I, I feel like there's, there's a difference between food scenes in movies and movies that are about food. Um, so, you know, Goodfellas is a movie that has certain scenes that invoke, you know, certain uh, emotions about around food, but it's not, I wouldn't qualify that as a food movie. Um, do you have a food scene in a movie that makes you hungry every time you watch it? And you're not allowed to say Goodfellas, um, because, you know, everyone talks about slicing garlic in Goodfellas. Oh yeah. I mean, there are, there are so many, uh, for me, uh, it's almost, I mean, those scenes I, I notice every one of those scenes and of course they land. I would say, I mean, the French fries and gravy and diner, of course. Oh, yeah. those. 
you know, when they're eating the, the French fries and, and gravy, you just think uh, that would be uh, in, incredible. But then, of course, I start thinking now if I were going to do that, then I'd want it to be poutine. So I have to think about how would I get the curd. Wait, how, how are you from Long Island and you're going to pick poutine over disco fries? <laughs> because it's I'll tell you, it's simply it's better. It is. <laughs> It is it's better tasting. It's, like, it's just absolutely if you put two things on a fork, poutine's the fact that poutine isn't just this incredibly popular food in America is shocking to me. It's everything that we want. I feel that way. I feel that way about cheese curds. Whenever I go to a food show and you get cheese curds from Wisconsin, I'm like, why? I grew up on Long Island as well. Like, why did they put? mozzarella on top of my fries and not this this is so much better so much it's just so poutine's just so much better uh i think than uh what what we could get at uh the king's villa diner or seacrest uh diner (laughs) on on long island um though those places were formative for me and of course important and then nobody talks about the chinese food scene in in the godfather but the chinese food scene you really want those noodles absolutely (laughs) absolutely um, do you have, do you have someone in New York? This is another lightning round question. Do you have someone in New York or actually anywhere that sort of is inspiring you in, in food or dining? Well, you mean like not a chef? You mean, a, uh, well, I'm, I talk to, uh, Helen Rosner a lot and Kat Kinsman and, oh, yeah. uh, Tom Kretschmar and uh, Pete Wells. I talk to all those people a lot and we talk about Ed Levine I talk to a lot about food, um, so I'm I'm constantly in the flow of of talking about that stuff. And you know, my 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 son Sam Cobbleman, he's got this newsletter that just exploded about uh, called uh, about quarantine cuisine. About he's interviewing all these chefs about um, what they're cooking during this quarantine time. And you should oh, check him out on Twitter at Sam Cobbleman. You should get him on now too. Yeah, he'd be a great guest. He's, uh, I mean, he he's a best-selling author, but he's doing this because uh, he he was just thinking about what um, trying to do something of value for everybody who's at home, and he he knows some chefs, and he just contacted them, and he's been doing this great newsletter. So he and I talk about this stuff all the time. That's also, great. are you are you doing more cooking now? I mean, obviously, we're in this weird place where we're we're all home a lot. You know, we're, we should all be home all the time. Um, I'm, I'm not a good cook, but I yes, I've been cooking. Amy cooks or I'll cook. Yeah, we've been cooking. That's I'm right. not a great cook. You know, I'll just cook a simple steak. That's it. Awesome. I, uh, all right, final question. Um, death row meal in New York City. It's a, it's a trite question that everybody asks, but do you have one? Do you have a meal that is your sort of last meal that's a New York City meal? Oh, yeah, I love that question. I don't think it's necessarily the best thing you've ever eaten. I think it's the most, like, fulfilling thing, the most comforting fulfilling like all together i, no, I like for, totally i don't know. think i totally know what you mean uh yeah. I, I mean we've already the the truth is i would have had a different answer to this um a couple of years ago but uh it would be something that david chang cooked for sure that's i i i for, for me for me i look at food in New I really do look at food in New York and in America as as before Momofuku Noodle Bar and after Momofuku Noodle Bar. I do. I um, agree. I agree. We we have a thing that the the egg at Momofuku is the best egg. The egg in the ramen at Momofuku is the best egg. Right. No, it's true. So I would have to say um kimchi stew at Momofuku Noodle Bar. That would be my oh, wow. that would be 
That's wow. a good choice. That's a good choice. We have a um, we have a uh, Korean food blogger on quite often, uh, Jean Lee, and she talks about kimchi, um, and she talks about Italian food versus. I grew up, you know, Italian Irish on Long Island. Um, she grew up Korean in Flushing, and we talk about the similarities there. And she has sure. converted me to. I mean, my comfort food used to be a chicken parm hero. Now it is definitely a good pork belly and kimchi yeah. stew. I love a chicken parm hero. Who doesn't love a chicken parm <laughs> hero? But there's something for me uh, now that I just associate heavy with uh, with as I David Chang's kimchi stew. Great. Well. <laughs> Brian, I mean, this is awesome. Um, I know you've got uh, you got to run, um, but thanks thanks for joining us. I mean, Billions is is still premiering May third, as far as we know. May third, it is. Yep, Billions May- will premiere May third. Awesome. That is awesome. All right, well, fellas, we look forward to that. Yourself. Thank you very much, Brian. Brian thank you so much. Be well. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. So there was uh, there was the not a foodie interview with Brian Koppelman. Um, thank you again, Brian, for being on the show. Um, it was pretty amazing and i wish that we could have talked for much longer because we just talked about food i just want to talk to you about Uh, life forever (laughs) Um, forever and ever so mike um do do you have anything to add about uh yeah so after we had him on the show i emailed brian about uh brian koppelman does this thing every morning where he posts his cup of coffee, the first cup of coffee of the day. It's like the first thing you're looking forward to in the day. It's called the Royale. He calls it the Royale. So, he decided like a month yeah. ago to coin that term. Yeah. So I emailed him after the interview and I told him selling merch. I said, selling shirts would be a really good idea that just say the Royale on it. And we could donate all the proceeds to charity. And he emailed me back saying he had something in the works already with mugs. And now if you go to the RoyalBK.com, uh, they're selling these white coffee mugs that say the Royale on one side with his face on the other side. They're $14 each, and 100% of the proceeds are going to be donated to the uh, New York Food Bank. And we've talked extensively about food insecurity in the city when people were working. So this is a really, really good time yeah. to go and buy another coffee mug or two or three. So again, that's go follow him on Twitter. Go check out, you know, so he's at Brian Koppelman, I think, um, on Twitter. I don't know. Just at go Brian Koppelman. And, um, and then the, go ahead. the website's T-H-E-R-O-Y-A-L-E-B-K.com. Royale with an E at the end. All right. And uh, that's it. Mike, I don't. I, I feel like usually we end our show with "What are you drinking?" Um, I'm. I I think it, as other people have put it, it's sort of air. Whatever's in yeah, front of me. It's airport rules <laughs> right now. You, you sort of, if you are partaking in alcoholic beverages or other things, just it's a free for all at this point. Um, I know I was making like a roast chicken last night, and I like poured myself a bourbon, and because I thought it was Friday. And I was like, no, wait, it's Tuesday. <laughs> this is just weird. <laughs> um, so I am drinking tonight. I don't know, but I'm drinking something. <laughs> what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> um, I need to buy vermouth, and I'm going to make a new All right. There you go. Oh, one is, the, the coolest shirt. Oh, I've got a I, – I'll put a link in, um, in the, the show notes. I, there's a bartender charity that was selling shirts – that say um, they were the the old school um, New York City coffee like Greek. Greek diner coffee cups, and it's a Negroni Tagoni, 
it says on it. And so I bought one of those. Uh, so I might have to have a Negroni tonight too. But I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, so go check it out. Go check out notafoodie.com. Um, Mike, thanks for thanks for Skyping in and uh, thanks for getting this Guys, done. Guys, thank you all for listening. Yes, yes. If you have anything that you want us to discuss while we're quarantined up, if you want to know like apocalypse cooking tips, um, let us know. Um, I'm... I'm absolutely going to be doing some fire pit cooking over the next uh, few weeks uh, since I'm out in the country. Um, and I'll post that content. Are you, you shouldn't. Yeah, just make content. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.